Okay, so today we're starting the first, hopefully, of a series of podcasts looking at different uh, medical specialities and making some information accessible to, to people so they can learn more about it. Um, very happy to have here today with us Dr. Ihab Himedi, who's a consultant, haematologist and oncologist at National Guard Hospital in Jeddah. Uh, so thank you for taking time out from your schedule. Um, could you just give us some background information about yourself, please? Uh, thank you, Adnan. Uh, uh, I started my haematology training uh, in the UK in 1995. Uh, haematology training and cancer training in general takes um, uh, some time to complete, and uh, uh, in the UK it takes about five years uh, training before you're qualified to become a consultant. Um, I trained um, in hematology at, at Guy's and St. Thomas's and King's College hospitals in London uh, for the duration of the five years. Um, and after that, I practiced hematology in the UK for uh, some time uh, until I uh, finally came to Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. And uh, so, so how long have you been in, in Jeddah for? I have been uh, in Jeddah for about uh, seven years now. Okay, mashallah. And your the, your role here in Jeddah, you 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 handle various areas here. Yes, uh, I um, deal with hematological malignancies, um, and also I treat uh, benign hematology cases. Uh, but mainly, my role eighty percent of the time I treat hematological malignancies. Okay. Or cancer. And uh, also, from from what I understand, you 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 deal with. Uh, bone marrow transplantation and things like this, so quite advanced treatments, that's what you do, is it? Yes, that's uh, true. I uh, um, treat hematological malignancies and patients with hematological malignancies, some of them might require a bone marrow transplant from uh, themselves, which we call it autologous bone marrow transplant, or from a matched uh, uh, sibling, uh, and, and that we call it allogeneic bone marrow transplant. Okay, yeah. Okay, that's great. So just to illustrate that, mashallah, you're doing quite advanced uh, treatments here. Um, what I just want to, to ask is, like, what does your day-to-day -day work involve? You know, what kind of, uh, uh, in terms of, you know, clinics, seeing patients, um, doing tests, uh, arranging therapy and so on, what's your day-to-day -day work like or what's an average day like? So um, an average day would be um, a day where I buy, whereby I uh, would um, be in the clinic seeing patients um, and then I would uh, go around rounding the inpatient service uh, seeing the inpatients. Um, I occasionally have also meetings uh, regarding uh, the chemotherapies and uh, their availability to our patients. Uh, so some admin work uh, combined with uh, clinics and inpatient service. Okay, okay, that's great. Um, so if if someone, uh, you know, if someone was diagnosed with some sort of cancer uh, or a hematological cancer to do with the blood or uh, a lymphoma which originates from the lymph, lymph glands, um, you know, what happens to them then? You know, what, what process do they go through step by step? 
Obviously, it's, um, uh, sometimes it comes as a shock to patients to be diagnosed with cancer. And uh, um, this is a, an important you know, part of um, the diagnosis is, is that any cancer ought to be diagnosed with a biopsy. Right? That is to say, taking a, a, a tissue uh, from the patient to uh, analyze it in the laboratory and get, getting the final diagnosis of cancer. So we always try and make sure 100% that uh, the patient is actually um, suffering from a malignancy before we inform them as a, it would, it's a life-changing uh, diagnosis. So the diagnosis would involve taking a biopsy uh, or a, a tissue from the patient. Also, before doing that, obviously, patients would have uh, some form of an imaging, uh, an image or um, uh, laparoscopic uh, surgery or uh, endoscopic endoscopy, uh, depending on where the cancer is to try and uh, make the diagnosis. So usually patients have symptoms that make them go to their GP, and then the GP from the symptoms might suspect that the patient has a cancer. They, uh, they would forward the patient or they would um, refer the patient to uh, a, a hematologist or an oncologist for further uh, testing uh, in the form of uh, imaging, laboratory tests, and taking a biopsy. And then we'd finally get to the diagnosis of the disease. Okay. And so just you mentioned about taking a biopsy. So they'll, they'll take a sample from the cancer, if it's a lump or if it's a lymph node. They'll take a sample um, either requiring a small operation. Is that right? Um, yes, it it's all depends on, on where the cancer is. Uh, some cancers like the kidney cancers, um, taking a biopsy might spread the disease, so they would uh, rather take the whole kidney out and analyze it rather than taking a sample. So um, if it was a blood uh, disease like leukemia or a lymphoma, uh, then the leukemia you would diagnose by taking a bone marrow biopsy or bone marrow sample. Um, uh, while the lymphoma, you would take a lymph node sample. Uh, lymph nodes are part of our immune system. Uh, we all have lymph nodes. They usually are not swollen and they're not palpable. They're not. It can't be felt. Mm -hmm. um, so we would take a sample of of the lymph gland and analyze it. So um, the Taking the sample is, is quite variable depending on where the suspicion of the cancer is, which, which organ it is. Okay. And then the kind of analysis you said about uh, assessing the, the biopsy or the sample, they'd look at it under the microscope, they'd do other tests, um, like immunological, immunological tests to work out exactly what type of cancer it is and, and how aggressive it is. Is that, is that correct? Or? Yes, that's very true. Um, uh, as a hematologist, we... Uh, trained to um, diagnose the cancer and we also train to treat the cancer. So with the background of diagnosing cancer, uh, in the last five to ten years the diagnostic uh, abilities of the laboratories has improved significantly. We now have different stains that uh, has made us discover new types of cancer that were not 
uh, known previously. So it's an evolving field. Um, there are many stains that can be used to analyze and, and specify the exact type of cancer, and that's very important because um, knowing the exact type of cancer can direct uh, the physician towards the best therapy available for that type of cancer. So getting this sample, getting this biopsy is, is sometimes important. Uh, some patients might find it, you know, difficult and might not like having, you know, operations to have samples taken. But, but for a physician to get to the final diagnosis is very important part of the jigsaw to uh, uh, get this sample and get it analyzed by a specialist and finding the exact diagnosis. And then that, as you said, can, can make sure that you, you can give a very targeted, accurate treatment, which will also hopefully cause less side effects. Yes. Is that right? Is that the correct answer? That's true. And um, uh, to the general public, uh, cancer has been linked to um, either treatment by surgical treatment, like in the case of breast cancer, um, or by radiation, or by chemotherapy. Mm. Uh, but the general public is not aware that there are many cancers now that can be treated without the need of chemotherapy. There are biological agents, there are um, novel therapies. They are not considered to be part of the chemotherapy treatments that we used to use for cancers. Um, and, and But these biological agents and these novel therapies, they are, um, they are used when we know exactly what type of cancer uh, we are facing. So um, it's very important to specify exactly what type of cancer, which stage it is, and then one can use uh, the, the appropriate therapy for it. Okay. So... so I think that's quite interesting because you mentioned these newer therapies. I was going to talk about the simpler things, but maybe since we're talking about that now, we can we can look at you know how do these how do these sort of newer therapies work in in simple terms, if that's possible, and uh, and how how is that sort of more beneficial? Yes, um, um, chemotherapies used to be the. Um, main mainstay therapy for cancer and chemotherapies don't differentiate between normal cells and malignant cells or cancer cells and they would affect um, all rapidly dividing cells so they would affect the hair so patients would lose their hair they can affect um, uh, sometimes the mouth cells uh, which might cause them mouth ulcers um, however, novel agents, they are targeted um, therapies, uh, biological agents, they are targeted therapies. They go to the specific type of cell that is causing the cancer and they would usually affect that cell and, and get rid of it. And um, this has um, uh, given the patients the opportunity of having much lesser side effects than a previous experience with, with chemotherapies. Um, um, there is now even uh, newer therapies in the form of immune therapy. This has been the dream of all oncologists is to have immune therapy. What does immune therapy mean? Immune therapy is, is when you uh, activate the immune system and allow the immune system to fight the cancer. 
So you're fighting the cancer with agents that um, get rid of the disease, uh, not the disease itself, but making the immune system of the patient uh, alert and able to fight the cancer by itself. So, so that I mean that would be a, a real leap forward, wouldn't it? That, that as you say, you, you can use these therapies really to accurately target the cancer, and and you don't get that collateral damage from from normal chemotherapy. Is that that's the idea? Is it? That's the idea for targeted therapies like biological agents and novel therapies. The idea for immune therapies is that you don't even target the cancer cells. You see, yeah. you allow the immune cell of the patient. Yeah. To attack the cancer cell, so you you are kind of um, recruiting, it, recruiting right? yes yeah. yes recruiting the immune system of the patient to fight the cancer. So that, that that's I mean fascinating. I think it's a fascinating. We're really on the cusp of a sort of revolution. Is that is that a yes? We we are just to... at the beginning of this revolution. Yeah. So we're just there. Just just arrived at that uh, edge of the revolution. But I think. In the next five to ten, maybe fifteen years, things are not going to be the same as they are now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I mean that's 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 really exciting. At the same time, is there still a role? I mean, presumably there's still a role for the normal treatments, the regular chemotherapy and radiotherapy and perhaps surgery. That still has a role. Is that a first line type of thing that we use? Or indeed, and and there are many. There has been many patients who've been cured with chemotherapy, mm. um, a disease like Hodgkin's lymphoma. You can cure eighty, maybe up to ninety percent of patients with the standard chemotherapy, um, and 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 this has been the mainstay therapy for the last thirty years. So. Mm. Um, you know, curing 80 to 90 percent of patients is 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 something that is very, um, very important, and 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 something that we would continue to do using the um, chemotherapy agents. I mean, that's really quite an amazing figure because you know, I guess the perception generally is that, okay, cancer. If someone's got cancer, that's it. You know, they're finished, and the chemotherapy is just prolonging things and you know causing more suffering and. I mean that that is really quite an amazing statistic, isn't it? That eighty to ninety percent of certain types of cancer, admittedly the Hodgkin's lymphoma, as you said, but they can be completely cured with chemotherapy. Yes, and and that's the thing that is important for the general public to be aware of is that cancer is not one disease. Cancer is many, many, many diseases, mm. and even within the same disease, mm. uh, there are. Now we are discovering with our uh, ability to uh, use molecular markers to uh, subdivide even what we used to know as one disease into many diseases. Mm. So um, it's very important to realize that cancer is many diseases and there are uh, many types that are can be cured with the therapies that we have at the moment. And we are uh, getting newer therapies every uh, month, every two months for different cancers and, and giving us more hope uh, of curing more and more um, types of cancer. Mm. And so perhaps is, is this a, a reasonable like, understanding that, you know, for cert- certain cancers we can use the treatments that we, we already, which, which are tried and tested, 
and then for that subset of cases which may not respond then we can go on to the more advanced therapies which which would be perhaps even more effective and and still offer hope for cure yes and that that's that's the important point that you raise mm. um is that um uh, by the new uh, technology that we have in diagnosing cancer and understanding the cells and how they work, um, we can um, stratify uh, cancers into different types and find out the best therapy for each type. And um, when we used to um, include all these types within one category mm. uh, we found that you know s some patients responded mm. and were cured and others were not uh, did not respond and, and unfortunately either their disease came back or they might have passed away because of that that cancer mm. so why is some patients responding and uh, um, being cured while others are not so this has to do with the um, different genetics of the right. cell mm -hmm. um, and when you break it down um, and find out that you know the patients who did not respond they had certain genetic problems that were not present in the patients who responded then you can you know from the beginning from the diagnosis you do this genetic testing and find out oh yes these are the types of patients that did not respond in the previous trials mm -hmm. Uh, in the previous research that we did. Um, so these we will use something different, something new. The patients who have responded, we can reassure them and we, we, can, we can tell them that, you know, from previous studies, you, the, the patients who had similar type of disease like yourself, patients who had similar disease like yourself have responded very well and we give them the therapy that we know they respond to. While patients with, uh, who have not responded in the past and have different genetic problems, we can uh, enroll them into new trials, into new studies with new medications and try and find the uh, best therapy for them for the future. Okay, okay. So one thing I wanted to look at, um, you know, you've, give, you've given a nice review and overview of, of the state of play and and how these cancers are dealt with nowadays. Uh, but one thing I've seen more and more, and I, I guess partly to do with the internet and partly to do with um, maybe some general mistrust of authority or whatever it might be, there's, there's a lot of misinformation out there and, and perhaps some mistrust. Um, uh, is that something you see with patients? Are, are they sometimes affected by these concepts? And, and does this cause difficulties for you in your day-to-day -day work and, and and what do you you know how do you sort of try and handle these issues uh thank you for tackling a very important point and uh, and it might be a taboo kind of uh thing uh that um whenever someone is diagnosed with cancer the first image that comes uh, to mind is someone who's um, unable to eat or drink and vomiting all the time because of the therapy that they have. And, and, and this misconception has been emphasized by um, uh, movies and, uh, and television sometimes. Um, but um, as we evolved with, with cancer therapies, we, we improved our supportive care uh, significantly. 
And by supportive care, I mean the treatment and dealing with the chemotherapy side effects, chemotherapy, radiation therapy, and, and even surgical post, post-operative therapies. And uh, the improvement in survival from cancer has come because of you know, newer therapies, but um, much more because of the way we have dealt with side effects from treatments and alleviating the side effects of therapy. Um, supportive care, um, as I, I would call it, uh, is dealing with the side effects of the therapy, has improved significantly much more than finding new therapies for cancer. And because of this improvement in the supportive care that we have, uh, patients have um, had a much more improved survival. Um, we learned how to deal with side effects of chemotherapy. We have very potent, very very useful anti-emetics, uh, medicines that uh, stop someone from uh, vomiting and alleviating the symptoms of uh, nausea and vomiting. We have treatments that um, would deal with um, infections where they to arise because of the immune suppression caused by chemotherapies. And um, chemotherapies and radiation therapy, usually they don't cause any pain. Uh, so there is a misconception that, you know, cancer therapy can cause pain, but it's the cancer itself that usually causes the pain rather than the treatment itself. Uh, treatments, uh, admittedly, can cause nausea, vomiting, uh, some side effects like suppression of the immune system, leading to infections. However, uh, having said that, our supportive care now for all the, the side effects that can be caused by cancer um, has improved and um, has become uh, much better. Um, and the majority of patients actually don't experience many side effects from the treatments. Um, f- for surgical treatment of cancer, again, there has been a significant improvement in the post-operative care and, and dealing with uh, the pain that might arise after the operation and dealing with the side effects of the operations. Um, and, and, and this is also uh, very important for the public to realize that um, things are not as they were, say, 10 or 20 years ago. So that, I mean, that's really interesting that, that things have, have really improved and people are able to manage and manage these therapies much better and they can cope with them much better. Um, yes, um, and, and, and this is a very important point that uh, the public needs to be aware of, is that um, uh, things have improved, uh, chemotherapies, uh, side effects have improved, we have uh, refined even the chemotherapies that we have, they... We have newer agents that have got lesser side effects. We learned about the older agents and how they cause side effects, and newer agents were were developed that would cause less side effects. Um, In addition to what we've discussed before, um, is that we have therapies that are not chemotherapy uh, that are um, used, and they have lesser side effects than chemotherapy. Okay, so the, so the newer agents, as you said, the biological and immune, immunotherapy agents, um, immune therapy agents, they, they will have fewer side effects. 
they have fewer they still have side effects but their side effects are fewer and less severe than the ones that we were used to or the public were were used to seeing in patients who have have uh, had uh, cancer chemotherapy say 10 20 years ago and uh, just and, and again i guess a, a principle to mention here is that you, you presumably will always weigh up the, the the risk and the benefit so it's not the case that you just give someone chemotherapy even if there's little benefit you have to weigh that, that that's presumably a judgment you're always making is that is that right uh, thank you for for raising that point that's a very important point and very valid point is that um, we as physicians we we've learned from the trials and studies the patients who are most likely to respond to the therapy that we have and if we find that the side effects of the treatment that we're going to give are much, much more and outweigh the benefits that the patient is going to uh, get from that treatment, then we'll have to sit with the patient, explain to them their disease and explain to them that maybe the therapies that we currently have are not going to be beneficial to them. Um, and, 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 uh, and the final decision it's usually a, a two-way conversation between the physician and the patient, mm-hmm. and the final f- decision is 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 a is a joint uh, decision between the physician and the patient. Okay, okay. Um, so, one so related to this is that I've see, you you see a kind of trend or or things you know like videos that come on the internet and all sorts of things where where people are, they're quite sort of turned off sort of modern treatments quite quite against chemotherapy and they they have this idea that okay we should try and use natural treatment or try and avoid chemotherapy or maybe we can just change our lifestyle and that will help us to cure our cancer ourselves and and uh, I mean how would you sort of respond to this kind of stuff and, and people who say these kind of things? I, I in my practice I, I have come across uh, um, in the many years that I've practiced uh, hematology uh, with patients who would like to use uh, natural herbal medicines instead of chemotherapies and biological agents and um, what I would say to them that from my personal experience um, although there has been many claims of cures um, because of herbal medicines or alternative therapies mm. um, I have not come across anyone um, that has benefited significantly from such therapies. And I usually say to my patients, okay, if you like to try herbal medicines, uh, I'm open to the idea, but Mm -hmm. I think there isn't any uh, contradiction between trying the herbal medicines as well as the therapies that have been proven in uh, medical studies to deal with such therapies so Mm. the two could go together as long as the physician is aware of what herbal medicine are being being used because some of these herbal medicine might have an interaction with the chemotherapies or the biological agents or the novel agents or the immune therapy that we use so as long as the physician treating the patient is aware of what the patient is taking um if the patient is adamant that they would like to use a herbal medicine or an alternative, any form of alternative therapy they would like, it might have a psychological effect on the patient and might the patient might feel, you know, they feel that 
they are doing their part. Um, I, I usually don't object to that. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there are some patients that I've come across who uh, insisted on using only alternative therapy for uh, their cancer. I remember one patient who was um, a trained aromatherapist and uh, mm-hmm. he used uh, uh, something called uh, shark uh, pills, uh, mm-hmm. which has got the cartilage of, of uh, shark and, and felt that that would treat his type of cancer. Unfortunately, it was very expensive therapy. It mm-hmm. uh, cost, uh, one tablet cost about, about uh, uh, $10. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, unfortunately, after some time, his cancer developed and evolved, and it, it was very difficult for us to salvage him mm-hmm. uh, with 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 our therapies, and and his disease progressed, and and, and unfortunately, he passed away. Mm-hmm. But um, there are many examples of of such uh, treatments that, um, with the explosion of social media that we have. Mm-hmm. I have come across a lot of very convincing videos of mm-hmm. therapies that uh, can deal with cancer and and claims of uh, success in patients and pa- and even some people claiming that they had cancer and they mm-hmm. were cured by such an agent, uh, herbal medicine or otherwise, or an alternative therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, but one has to be very cautious about these claims. Mm-hmm. Medical research is based on evidence Mm. and none of the medicines that we use um, has been used without being tried and tested Mm. in many many medical studies and and when their um, efficacy has been proven that's Mm. the only time when they get approval uh, Mm. by the regulatory agencies in um, uh, whether be it in the UK, the MHRA, uh, or uh, Europe, uh, or in the America by the uh, American FDA. So these these agents that have been got regulatory approval, they are usually agents that have been studied extensively and their efficacy has been proven. But the therapies that you find in the social media are usually therapies that have not gone through such rigorous. Um, uh, testing or mm. studies mm. to prove their uh, worthiness mm. and the lack of side effects from them. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I mean that that story you mentioned, I think, is is really uh, telling that someone was took some aromatherapy and. But I think the key thing is that that they that they they turned away from the normal therapies that you were you were ready to offer uh, and they turned away from that and they 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 went for this thing and and that that can cause harm you have seen many cases of that kind of situation people being harmed by that because their if you like their proper treatment was delayed and then it was hard to actually recover the situation later on is that is that right yeah that's true i mean if if I want to go back to that case, I mean, that patient initially came very sick and he had mm. uh, chemotherapy and he improved on the chemotherapy. Mm. But after a certain number of cycles, I now don't remember how many, but he decided that he that 
that he doesn't want to carry on. So he didn't complete the full course? He didn't course complete the full course. He, yeah. he wanted to go because he was a trained aromatherapist. Mm. He, he used to believe in, in, in alternative medicine. Mm. So he, he, he has shown me that the pills that he bought uh, online from, for, for, and the claim it had that it, it is, um, that it, it's, um, it, sharks don't get cancer and, and that's why the shark fin is a cartilage that uh, is made of shark fin and that's why it, it would treat cancer. So he used it for, uh, he disappeared, uh, we didn't see him for maybe four or five months and when he came back he was in a very poor shape, mm. uh, unfortunately for him and, and uh, we, we couldn't, we couldn't get, get him back into the remission he had when he first started the therapy. Mm. Um, so, so you can get harmed from just um, therapies that are not of proven benefit. Mm, yeah, okay. And uh, I mean, I've had also, I mean, I guess there's, the list must be endless. The list of false claims or, or, or doubtful claims must be endless, really. I mean, I've, I've heard people talk about, you know, intravenous vitamin C or, or some people even say that if you, if you improve your diet and, and you exercise, which, I mean, we all, we all need to do that, don't we? We all need to improve on that front. But, uh, but they say that if you do this, improve your diet and exercise, that that itself can treat the cancer really kind of quite outlandish things. I mean, what, what do you make of those sorts of claims? Yeah, I mean, uh, as you say, I mean, we all have, we, we, there are new studies showing that, you know, uh, now uh, uh, obesity is, is, mm. is a major cause of cancer yeah. or, or a predisposing factor for cancer. Mm. Um, so we have to improve our lifestyles, smoking, mm. uh, alcohol intake, and, and uh, obesity. All these are, are um, known factors to cause uh, increase the risk of cancer. So, um, as you say, um, one has to uh, have a, a healthy diet um, and also um, eat things in moderation. Um, and also um, try and uh, lead a healthy life. But if someone, uh, God forbid, uh, develops cancer, then at that point in time, uh, leading a healthy life or is not going to cure the cancer. It's very good for preventing or reducing the risk of, of someone developing cancer. But mm. by itself, to treat cancer, it's, it's, um, it's a claim that is not, is not um, studied and uh, it's not something that um, has been proven to be worthy of treating cancer patients. Mm. Okay, okay. Okay, um, do you see that, that the, um, the the internet and social media is, is quite a dangerous, in some ways can be a dangerous tool or a dangerous thing because if you like, there's so much misinformation, people can lose sight of of, of, of what's right and what's wrong uh, and how should they sort of how do you recommend that they avoid the dangers of the internet or the misinformation that might be there yes as I say anything in life um, has its uh, advantages and disadvantages um, driving a car uh, has its advantages and disadvantages and, and it can be a, a tool where someone can be harmed, uh, you know, driving a car. So the same applies to social media. 
social media has its advantages and now we are um, uh, using this podcast uh, because of uh, you know social media and and uh, trying to make an advantage of the social media in in making people more aware about cancer and its therapies uh, but at the same time um, it does have its disadvantages uh, people uh, when they are diagnosed with cancer they need hope and um, when someone gives them hope the easy way mm. uh, then they can uh, um, they then they can um, get fixated on that hope mm. um, and um, don't realize that it's a false hope. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's very important that when we get information like that, um, especially if we have a loved one who has suffered from cancer or if one of us is, uh, one, someone is, is, is developed cancer, then it's very important to get your information from a reputable source and um, don't just believe everything that you hear. Yeah. Always test it, ask, and uh, weigh things in your mind, um, um, and then make a decision based on on a, on, a, on a careful judgment of the facts that you uh, know about um, the therapy that um, you were told about or informed about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, that's that's really useful um, information. I think very um, um, sobering and thought-provoking. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you about as well, and this is something which uh, obviously I'm involved with with you and with our other colleagues, is that we have uh, these these tumor board meetings or multidisciplinary multidisciplinary team meetings, where we get different doctors from different specialities uh, to look at specific cases. Um, so, so how does that work? I mean, that's something I quite enjoy, really. It, it, it takes me out of my comfort zone, if you like, but I find it quite enjoyable. Um, how, do, how do these meetings work, and, and what do you think the benefits of them are? Yes, this is something that has evolved in this treatment of cancer and has improved the care of patients. And um, in the past, people used to work as individuals, and obviously... Some of us are very have got strengths and weaknesses, um, and when you work as a part of a team, then that benefits the physicians and the patients, and uh, this is known as the multidisciplinary meeting MD, um, MDM or MDT, um, um, and um, people found that if people from different specialities. Um, come and meet together maybe once a week, bring all the newly diagnosed cases and the difficult cases and the cases in which the cancer has come back. Um, and, and in these meetings, you bring a, a radiologist, a physician like yourself, who uh, w- would be specialized in images and, and can interpret uh, CT scans and MRI scans, X-rays, um, uh, nuclear medicine scans, and a pathologist, uh, a, a person who specializes in the diagnostic skills of the tissues, uh, the biopsies that were taken uh, from the patient, and uh, the physicians 
or clinicians who would treat the patient. So like myself, uh, a hematologist, a medical oncologist, a radiation oncologist, a surgeon. So if all these different groups of uh, physicians meet together, bring a case and discuss the case from the diagnostic point of view, the radiological or the x-ray point of view where the tumor is, uh, and then develop a plan of management of this patient, then the plan is usually much more robust and covers all eventualities and um, even other physicians and clinicians can um, uh, give their experience. Maybe they've experienced a similar case in the past and, mm-hmm. and they treat it in, an, uh, in a different way and, and they learned from that case. So if each one of us bring what they've learned and their experience into a single room or a single even space, it doesn't have to be a room, uh, it can be a video link um, between different hospitals, um, like what is practiced in the UK sometimes. So bringing all these experiences together and discussing all the patients together um, is a beneficial exercise and we all learn from it. And the patient benefit from the experience of different physicians coming together, formulating a treatment plan that would work best for this type of patient with this type of tumor. Because each tumor is an individual, has its own individual way of presenting. And um, um, not two cancers are exactly the same. So so learning from this and and developing a, a treatment plan that works best Uh, is something that has been found uh, to benefit physicians and patients alike and uh, I mean I think I think one thing that I've seen being part of these meetings is which is I think is very nice is that that we all support one another as you said and also that we are sort of respectful of our of our areas of expertise and we we refer to each other refer to our you know respective areas and, and that really makes us much stronger as a team I think and I think does help the patient a lot um, thank you very much for your time I know you've got a meeting to go to and I, I've taken up quite a lot of your time so I'm, I'm really grateful for that and uh, I hope that uh, I hope that this is of benefit to, to everyone so thank you for uh, your time as well and, and for this opportunity and hopefully we'll have more more opportunities in the future. Inshallah, inshallah, I hope so. Okay, thank you very much, son.